The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. I want to welcome you today to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church, which is located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCool, and I serve as pastor of Zion Primitive Baptist Church. We are a congregation of believers in the sovereign grace of God where families worship together through the simple practice of preaching, praying, and singing. If you live in this area or are visiting here, we would love to have you attend worship services with us. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. and the first and third Wednesday evenings at 6.30 p.m. I'm happy to note that our daily podcast is featured on Grace Alone Radio, which you can find at gracealoneradio.net. You can find the schedule on the website, and you can also download an app to your phone so that you can listen wherever you are. Grace Alone Radio is a 24-hour streaming service which carries the message of God's sovereign grace around the clock and around the world. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. That's near the intersection of County Road 49 and Alabama Highway 159, about 10 miles north of Gordo, Alabama, and about 8 miles northeast of Reform, Alabama. If you're interested in finding more sermons, you can go to our website at zionpbc.com, that's z-i-o-n-p-b-c.com, where you'll find all of our posted sermons as well as a link to subscribe to our podcast. You can also subscribe to our website which will update you every time a new sermon is posted. The sermon today is an older sermon preached by Elder Tim McCool, pastor of Bethlehem Primitive Baptist Church near Acola, Alabama, in Tuscaloosa County. Brother Tim preached this sermon back in April of 2012, not long after Zion Church had begun to revive. Some of you may know that our church, Zion Primitive Baptist Church, had dwindled down to one member by 2011. But in June of that year, due to the prayers and efforts of Brother Tim and the one member that was left, along with the prayers and efforts of many others, and in particular by the grace and mercy of Almighty God, Zion Church began to revive, and we have experienced a wonderful period of revival since then. This message was preached early in that revival process, as our attendance began to grow and ultimately members began to join the church. Brother Tim preached this sermon entitled, Four Simple Things as a reminder and encouragement that it really isn't a complicated process for revival. The world tries to complicate the matter and add things to what the Word of God says, but in reality it's just four basic things found in the second chapter of Acts. Please join us for this wonderful message today. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit. When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were as those who fall between. In the past, they walked around us with song, our graceful and joyful
good to be back at Zion Church. I, I would be remiss if I didn't always comment on how good the Lord has been to us here in West Alabama and here at Bethlehem and here at Zion. Could go on and on about how providential he's been in his care and his guidance and what he's done here and continues to do. Uh, I told him this morning at Bethlehem I hadn't preached in West Alabama in over two weeks. And I told him, I said, buckle in because I'm ready to preach. Uh, two weeks ago, Elder Mike Ivey preached at Bethlehem. And of course, we had the ordination on that Saturday. And then uh, I was gone uh, to Dallas to preach last weekend. So I got to preach. Don't feel sorry for me. I got to preach. But I was ready to preach in this area because this is where my burden is. Amen. My burden is not just for one particular physical site. Although the place where we meet week to week is where we assemble. And it has no spiritual value or it's just a place where we meet. The people are what are, are valuable. God's people are what are valuable. And my burden is for this area. I, I, I lie awake at night thinking about God's children in this area. And about others that are out there that will, would benefit from the truth of salvation by grace. And benefit from the fellowship of God's people. It keeps me awake some nights. And I don't mean tossing and turning. I just mean thinking about it. Being concerned about it. And tonight I want to speak to you from the book of Acts. The second chapter. Four simple things. Four simple things that are an absolute necessity for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Now before, as you're turning there, um, this past weekend when I was preaching in Dallas... It just amazed me at the response that I got from the messages that the Lord laid on my heart to present. And you say, well, you're patting yourself on the back, Brother Tim. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. So I'm, I'm going to tell you why. The greatest response that I got from uh, a group of people out there at Dallas, I preached Friday night, three times Saturday, and once on Sunday, and flew back out here, was thankfully back here for night services. But the greatest response that I got from any group of people at Dallas at Louisville Primitive Baptist Church in Dallas was from the children. And I didn't set out to preach a child's sermon, and I, didn't, I don't do that anytime. But the reason I'm telling you that is because some of you are older, and I put myself in the older category, and I hope and pray that you fully understand and comprehend everything that we're talking about here. <clears throat> but the future of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ are those little ones. And I was just astonished at the number. I had one little boy come up to me three times. Brother Tim, when can you come and preach at our church? I'm like, just call me, you know. Call my uh, calendar keeper over here. We'll, we'll work it out. You know, I, I've never had a nine-year-old ask me to try to book me to come and preach at their church. And I, I'm not telling I didn't do any, anything different than I do out here. Just preach the gospel. But those little fellows, it just, it just astounded me. And I began to think on that. And I've thought about it before, but it really came home to me. The future of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is that younger generation coming along. And if the older generation, uh, which I put myself in that older generation, gets to biting and devouring one another and yanging and nitpicking and all this type of stuff, you can forget about the, the younger generation. You can forget about it. I've seen it happen. You say, well, Brother Tim, we're not into numbers. I'm not saying we're into numbers. We're into people. The children of God is what we're into. If Jesus is going to talk to us one day when we get to the judgment day, and he, you know, 
I'm not belittling the doctrine or anything like that. It's, it's the most precious part of my life. But, you know, it's a shock to some of us truth believers that when we sit down there on that judgment day, when the Lord calls everybody together, the sheep, the goats, He's not going to have a sermon for us about predestination. That's right. I hate to tell you. That's right. And He's not going to say, well, you guys were right and you were wrong. You know, well, He's going to say that in a sense to the sheep and the goats. But what I'm saying is you're not going to get a doctrinal dissertation about, uh, uh, you know, infralapsarianism or superlapsarianism or predestination or end times. I mean, the end times are going to be over with. <laughs> That's going to be the end time. As precious as those doctrines are, you say, why, Brother Tim? Why are we not going to be vindicated? Because everybody's going to believe exactly alike. <laughs> you won't have to be vindicated, see? Your mind will be perfect and conform to the image of Christ. Everybody will believe. Nobody will be doing like Brother Tim you know, said he would do. I told you so. I told you so. Nobody's going to be doing that. Nobody's going to be doing that. You know what Jesus is going to talk to us about on the judgment day? He's going to talk to us about how we treated each other. Amen. When I was hungry, you brought me food. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me drink. When I was sick, you visited me. When I was in prison, you came unto me. That's sort of an eye-opener, isn't it? You know what that has to do with? Acts, the second chapter, and verse 42. If I can reach one child, if I can reach one young person and instill and sow the seed of the future of God's church into one young person, it's better than not being able to reach a hundred people in my generation or my age or older. If you can just sow that seed in the fertile ground of one of God's children and they say, I get it, Brother Tim, I get it. That's, I have accomplished more in that by the grace of God than anything. And here you have four simple principles for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not just surviving, but thriving. Amen. And don't we want to see the church of the Lord Jesus Christ thrive? I'm telling you, that's something that keeps me awake at night. Lord, let us just see the, 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 the days of peace in the Lord's church. Acts 2 and verse 42. Now, very quickly, think about what's going on here. Peter has just stood up. Peter, Peter's come out of, out of hiding. Peter's been in hiding. Uh, the apostles have been in hiding. They, they've been afraid for many days. The Lord said, go back to Jerusalem. Even after the Lord's resurrected, they're still afraid. They don't quite get it. The Lord says, go back to Jerusalem. Wait for the promise of the Father, which was the Holy Ghost being sent uh, in, in, in this form like it's being sent here. Uh, and, and they go back and they wait to Jerusalem and then the rushing mighty wind comes along and Peter goes from a man in hiding and a man denying Christ to a man full of the Holy Ghost, full of the Spirit of God and boldness standing up before the people of God. The same people that not long before, some of the same people that were trying to uh, do away with him and he was hiding from. What made the difference? The Lord made the difference. So here's Peter and he's standing up and he's preaching on the day of Pentecost. Pentecost thousands of people are there and he says, he goes, starts in verse 14, begins to preach, and he keeps on preaching. And when he comes down to the pinnacle of his sermon there, he says in verse 36, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus, whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, there, was, there were children of God there who had uh, contributed to spitting on him, mocking him, uh, uh, crying out, Crucify him! There were children of God who had contributed to all of that. And it says that these children of God were pricked in their heart. There's some others there that didn't care, that weren't children of God and didn't care anything about uh, the Lord. And there might have been a young man there named uh, Saul of Tarsus who the Spirit of God had not tendered his heart yet. See, 
He might have been there. I know he was there uh, some later things that happened. But he, his heart hadn't been tendered yet. He hadn't been born again yet. So it was nonsense to him. But the people there that it made sense to were born again children of God. And that's the only people that the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ will make sense to. Yeah. You can preach until you're blue in the face. You can, uh, you can send out groups and individuals all over the world. But the only people that the truth of grace makes sense to is a born again child of God. They're the only one that can be pricked in the heart. And if you'll follow the scripture out, you'll find that the children of God are the ones that respond to the truth of God. Born again children of God. And these born again children of God, have you ever had somebody just give you some news that just cut you to the that just that just cut you down? It just it just went into your gut. You know, you just oh, you just had to bend over and think, oh my goodness, I can't believe that you just told me that. I just can't believe this has happened. That's what these people did. They were, they were like, what? You, we crucified him? What? They were pricked in their heart. And they said, they, you know, when, when something bad happens, when some circumstance comes along, when you're, a, uh, when you're an obsessive person like me, I'm not going to pick on you, I'll pick on me. When you're an obsessive person like me, the, the first thought that I have when bad news comes along is fix it. Yeah. Fix it. What can you do? Well, there's some things you can't fix. You know, an obsessive person like me, it would drive somebody into the into the nut house, you know, if, if you don't have grace and mercy to temper with that obsessiveness to say, okay, just relax, you know, count to ten. You can't fix this. I've said before, the day that the Lord blessed us to get on that plane two days earlier, uh, two days early for Brother David Crawford when he had staph infection, I, I feel like I probably would have exploded or imploded if we could not have gotten on that plane two days early. I think that God was so merciful to me because it just had to be that way. You know, that was of the Lord. And we got out of there two days early and got him safely. But I, I thought back on that. You know, the Lord was not just being merciful to Brother David. <laughs> the Lord was being merciful to this obsessive person right here. <laughs> You know, because if I, I mean, I, I can just they can see him call home and say, "Well, I hate to tell you, but but you, you know, brother Tim, your son, your husband, he exploded." You know, <laughs> in anger? No, he just blew up. You know, because things didn't go his way. You know, now, I'm just obsessive that way. Please don't ask Sister Tracy about that because she won't tell you. She's so kind. She, she don't make her tell stories. She don't even ask her. Okay. But here are these people, and they've just been given the news that. That they are the ones that contributed to crucifying the Savior. And they're pricked in the heart. They said, what, what shall we do? We've got to fix this thing. Can we undo it? It can't be undone. He's already been crucified. He's already given up his life. Praise be to God. He's already risen and gone back to heaven. Can you see the loss that they would feel? Similar to the loss that Peter felt whenever God told, whenever the Lord Jesus Christ told him, Peter, you said you'll go and die for me, but I'm telling you, I know everything, and before this night out is, is out, you will sinfully deny me three times. It says Peter went out and wept bitterly. Can you imagine the loss that he felt when he went out after denying Jesus three times? And, and then he's thinking he's never going to see him again. Just think if your spouse or your best friend or the one that you love the most in, your, in this world or your mother or your father, if the last interaction that you had with them was some horrible words were spoken or ugly words were said or you denied them and denied helping them and then they go away and they die and you never see them again till you get to heaven. That's exactly how Peter felt. You talk about loss. You talk, you talk about the tears of, of bitterness. Peter just said, I'll stand by you, Lord. And he knocked off the, the high priest's servant's ear. You know, Jesus put it back on mercifully. I'll stand by you, Lord. And he says, I don't know him. I don't know him. And he says some ugly word. And he says, I don't know him. 
And then the cock crows. And he realizes, oh, what have I just done? And he thinks he's never going to see him again. That's the man that's standing right here preaching, by the way. The man that denied him and went out and wept bitterly and was probably suicidal for a few days. I'll tell you what, if I'd have denied the Lord Jesus Christ and, and went out and, and thought I was never going to see him again, I'd probably have bad thoughts like that too. But praise be to God, the Lord was so merciful, wasn't he? And here's Peter preaching on the day of Pentecost, and he's standing up by the Holy Ghost and saying, look at what you've done. And they said, what do we do? How do we fix this thing? And Peter says to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. They weren't remitting their sins there. Don't get thrown off track. Follow the English language, and the English language makes perfect sense. <laughs> the language there says that Christ is the one that remitted the sins. For the remission of sins attaches to Christ. You don't remit your sins when you're baptized. As a matter of fact, the same writer, the same speaker, Peter, said that. He says, baptism is the answer of a good conscience towards God, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh. He wasn't saying, okay, sinners, get right with the Lord. Let Him in, and you can go to heaven. Everything will be right. He says, if you repent and you turn from this idea that you had and these motives that you had and you follow the Lord and be baptized in His name because guess what? Even though you were against Him and you were His enemy, He has remitted your sins. <laughs> Isn't that beautiful? When we were enemies, He reconciled us to Him. Now He goes on down and it says, Those that gladly received His word were baptized. And the same day they were added unto them about 3,000 souls. What a glorious ingathering. 3,000 souls on the, day of, on the day of Pentecost. It'd be like the dog catching the car. You know, what's he going to do when he finally catches it? You know? I mean, you know, Peter, maybe Peter thought, well, there'd be a few people come down. 3,000 people. Baptize me. Baptize me. We, we wanna, we've done this. We, we didn't understand. God, forgive us. We believe Jesus remitted our sins. We believe what you're saying, Peter. He's the one that ascended the throne of David, as you've told us here. He's the one that is our Savior. Baptize us. Let me follow you. Please. That's the, that's, that was the fix-it. <laughs> that was the fix-it for them. I pray to God if that had been me standing there on the day of Pentecost, that I, I, in my obsessive personality, I would have tried to fall my way down to the front. Let me in front of these people, you know. I've got to fix this thing. I gotta, I've got to make it right in the sense that I want to give God an answer of, of the good conscience that He's given me. See? Okay. They were baptized. 3,000 came in. And now verse 42. They did four things. Four things that are absolutely necessary for the survival of the, Lord, of the Lord's church. Okay. You say, well, Brother Tim, it sounds like you're putting it all on people. Well, 1 Timothy says that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is the pillar and ground of the truth. He's not talking about the pillars that hold up this building. He's not talking about the, the, the physical building. What is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ? It's the people. You say, well, I you know, well, hope this foundation of this building lasts. Well, I hope it does too, but it's just the building. It's just where you come to assemble and rejoice. The, something that holds up something, a pillar, the pillar and ground of the truth, he's talking about the church. The church, the people are the ones that are to hold up the truth, the pillar and ground of the truth. Y'all see yes. that? Yes. You. That's talking about you. That's talking about me. And how we hold it up depends on how it survives. Amen. You say, well, I thought Brother Tim had said that he would always have a witness here on this earth. He did say that, but he didn't say it was going to be United States of America. Amen. 
I've seen some incredible things happening over in Africa. It makes me wonder sometimes, well, I wonder if the Lord may be moving the church over to Africa. He's certainly sharing the truth with a lot of people that are loving it over there. But I pray to goodness that we don't have to move to Africa. I love Zion. I don't want to move to Africa. I don't want to go in. I want to see the church here. I want to see the church down in Bethlehem. I want to see churches established again that once thrived and rejoiced. See? How's it going to happen, Brother Tim? It says they continued steadfastly in the doctrine. Continued steadfastly. You know what that means? That means they gave strict attention to the doctrine. What doctrine? The same doctrine that rolled off the lips of our Savior. Where he says, I came not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will, that of all that he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise him up again at the last day. That's the doctrine. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us under the adoption of children. On and on he goes. That's the doctrine. Amen. See? 1 John 5 and 1. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Not, not trying to get born of God, not wanting to be born of God, but he, if you believe Jesus is the Son of God, you are born of God. The Lord's tendered your heart. He's given you the new birth. Jesus said the same thing, except to be born again, you cannot see and you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, how's that happen, Brother Tim? That's the same thing Nicodemus said. Well, what? How did that happen? I don't understand. How did, can a man re-enter his mother's womb and be born again a second time? Jesus says, you don't understand what I'm talking about. He said it's the spiritual birth. You know, think about it. Have you ever gone out here and seen a cow give birth to a goat? That's nonsense. You say, Brother Tim, that's silly. Don't be silly. Well, I'm going to be silly for just a minute. Have you ever gone and seen a sheep give birth to a cat? That's against nature, isn't it? Have you ever seen, you know, um, have you ever seen a, a buffalo give birth to a, a human baby? Doesn't make any sense. That's why Jesus says that which is born of the flesh is flesh. See, a cow begets a baby calf. A buffalo begets a baby. What is that, a bison or something like that? Uh, a, 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 a cat has baby kittens. See, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. And he says, that which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. Yeah. The Spirit of God begats His children. See? It's nonsense to think, well, a cow would begat a lamb or a sheep. But people say all the time, well, you know, hey, you can bring something out of something. You know, you can, you can begat yourself into the family of God. You can born yourself into the family of God. It's not going to happen. Because flesh begats flesh and Spirit, the Spirit of God begats Spirit. Amen. See? That's the doctrine You've got to have that doctrine to, to be able to follow these other three things here. You've got to have it. See, you notice, you notice how he starts with the doctrine? It all starts with the doctrine. Yes. So, well, brother, listen. I'm not talking about something that is non-personal. Non-personal. I'm not talking about something that you can't feel in your heart. I'm not talking about, you know, some cold teaching that they teach in a seminary somewhere. I'm not talking about something that you can't touch and that you can't feel. I'm telling you, if you see the doctrine of the Lord Jesus Christ, you can touch it and you can feel it. And it is embodied in the life and the work and the actions of Jesus Christ. A man who just walked around and just mercy was just, just falling off of him. A man who, who could, could identify with any group of people that he was with and, make, and help them see and understand what he was trying to say. You see, Jesus' doctrine embodied 
And in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, you have the doctrine, you have the teaching. See, it's not some cold thing that you can't touch. You say, how do we know that, Brother Tim? Because he says they continued steadfastly in the doctrine and in the fellowship. You see, fellowship goes right along with doctrine. If you've just got a church that's just, just all they got is doctrine, just some cold doctrine, we're right, you're wrong. You know, we got it and you don't. Then you don't, there's no way that that kind of thinking can, can even experience these other three things. Because it's not, we're right and you're wrong. Right. It's not, we got it and you don't. That's right. What it is, is, and I've repented of saying I can't believe, but it's, it's, it's amazing. That's right. Look at what I've got in my hands. It's amazing. Who am I to even have the ability to understand it? You're too busy observing the diamond that you're holding in your hands rather than looking away and saying, well, you don't have it, you don't have it. You know, nah, 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 you don't have it. See? It starts with the doctrine. Isn't that what he said in Ephesians 2 and 20? He says, you are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, the precious stone, Jesus Christ. That's the doctrine. And the fellowship goes with it. Fellowship. If you don't have fellowship, then the doctrine is just dry and it's just cold and it's just, it's just dead. Okay? But what if you've got the fellowship and you don't have the doctrine? Well, I'm not saying this in an ugly way. I'm just saying it. <laughs> if you've got fellowship and you don't have the doctrine, then you've basically got every other denomination out there in the world. You understand what I'm saying? Programs. That's fellowship, get together for this age, for that age, for the old, for the young, for the married, for the unmarried, for the divorced, for the single, for, you know, uh, for the four-year-old, for the 15-year-old. If you've got the fellowship, but without the doctrine, you're just going to have the denominational world. You understand that? That's right. Yeah. I'm not being ugly, and I'm not, I didn't call anybody's name, did I? <laughs> I'm just saying, in general, that's what you'll have without the doctrine anchoring the fellowship. Amen. See? You just have a get-together. Now listen, I've said this before, but I don't want you to forget this. When this church was constituted right here, when this church, Zion Primitive Baptist Church, when it was constituted, they didn't constitute this church and, and come out from other places and constitute it because there was a division or a difference in doctrine. Listen to me carefully. It's, on, it's in writing. They put it in writing. They said, here is the reason why we are starting this church. And if you come here or you're a member here, probably be a good idea to look at that. Well, you can't look at it because i got the records. I'll have to get them back to you. And then you can look at it, okay? I'll be glad to share them with you. But you can read what they wrote. And they said, we are doing this because A, B, C, D. They went on and on. And you know what they said? It was because of new forms of fellowship that they were coming up with. Sunday schools, training unions, temperate societies. I'm just telling you what's written there. I'm just telling you what they said. They didn't say those people over there, they don't believe in election anymore. Those people don't believe in the operation of the Holy Spirit and the new birth. Those people don't believe this. That. They didn't say that. It didn't have, it didn't have anything to do with doctrine. Right. Y'all with me? Yeah. It had to do with the practice. Yes. It had to do with the fellowship. People, people said, what we got in fellowship is just not good enough. We want to add something to it. We, we want to bring something else in. Look where it is today. Most of the denominational world, other churches, let's just take Baptist churches because that's where Baptists come from, primitive Baptists, old Baptists, Baptists in general, probably don't even know they've got an articles of faith. Probably don't even know it. 
But if they do have an article of the faith, if it goes back more than 20 years or even 25 years, it's going to read almost identical to what this church said in 1847. Now, you ask yourself the question. Ask yourself the question now. Well, does that mean that Zion Primitive Baptist Church hopefully is continuing in the same doctrine at least back to 1847? I hope that's what it means. Amen. I hope that's what it means. And you say, well, I'm not saying, well, let's just thumb our lapels and say, well, look at us. You know, we're, you know, look at what we're doing. That's not the point of that. The point is to look at history. And if we don't learn from history, then we can't, we can't have any clue of where we're going. Okay? If you've got the fellowship, but you don't have the doctrine, you're just going to have a social get-together. That's all that is to it, see? Then he also says they continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, in breaking of bread. <laughs> I'm just going to be honest with you. Now, I know that talks about communion. I mean, some, that's partly talking about communion. But it also is talking about something beyond communion. It's talking about sitting down at a table, looking across the table at each other, and eating in fellowship. I'll just be honest with you. That I probably have the least trouble with that. Uh, any, maybe anybody in this room, I don't know. Because, you know, my house is just like a revolving door. Whoever wants to come over and whenever you want to come over, it, it, it's, it's fine with me. Okay? That's just the way that it is. I, I, you know, maybe I'm a little extreme in that area. I believe, I, I, I admit it, I probably am. You know, there's probably times when I need to do like the disciples disciples did. Jesus said, y'all come aside over here and just rest a little bit. You know, sometimes I wonder, why am I so tired? Well, no wonder I'm so tired. You know, But I don't have any problem with that. I don't have any problem with it. I don't have any problem in dinner table uh, fellowship, dinner table theology, dinner table discussions. And I'm going to tell you, I think some of you in this room know why I don't have any problem with that because of the way I came up. Some of the best memories of my life I even wrote a song about it one time. Some of the best memories of my life were sitting around those kitchen tables. Amen. At lunch, in between working, sweating all morning, and in between sweating all afternoon. At night, sitting around the house discussing the things of the day. Might be spiritual, might be just things that happen, might be a good clean joke. I mean, I can tell you, those are wonderful times of fellowship Amen. that I will take to my grave as long as I've got a memory. And then you throw in there the, the, the doctrine and that the people that you're fellowshipping with in that way are truth believers. It doesn't mean that you can't ever eat with anybody else. It doesn't mean that. But he's saying here, that's what these people did. That's what these truth believers did. They got together and they had fellowship. They broke bread. That means they communed. They had the Lord's Supper, but they also just ate and fellowshiped with one another. And then it says that they also, the last one is that they prayed. Now, you remember me telling you that if you don't have the doctrine, then it's just like a social get-together. Or if you do have the doctrine and you don't have the fellowship, then it's just dry and dead. You know, everybody runs in the door and runs out as quick as they can whenever they, when they're through with church. Now, that, you, now, you know I'm telling you the truth. That's the way it is in a lot of places. Praise be to God. You know, we have to run people off. <laughs> Actually, we don't. But I will turn the lights off after somebody's been there so long, you know, and I'm, I, I need to go uh, do something else, you know. Flip the lights. Okay, it's time to go, you know. Come over and we'll eat. You know, <laughs> There's always a backup plan. Brother Tim's always got a backup plan. Okay. <clears throat> you don't have the doctrine. It's just a social get-together. You don't have the fellowship. It's just dry and dead. And the breaking bread goes along with the fellowship. If you don't break bread, well, you know, obviously if you don't eat, you're hungry. <laughs> you know, 
And you're hungry for one another. Alright? The last one is prayers. Over in the book of James, he says, You have not because you ask not, or you ask amiss. Now listen to me. Listen to me. You think that you'd be sitting here today where you're sitting right now if somebody hadn't got down on their knees and prayed for the Lord to open a door? Honestly. You say, well, I didn't do it. Well, I'm not saying who did. I think several people did. Well, let's pat them on the back. No, I'm not going to tell you who they are. Because <laughs> we don't want to pat them on the back. We want to pat the Lord on the back. But do you think you'd be sitting here today if somebody in their prayer closet hadn't gotten down on their knees and prayed, Lord, open a door. Lord, let some people come back over there and start worshiping again. Lord, things got off track for a while, but let if, if it's in your if it pleases you, let it happen. Amen. Did somebody go and turn the doorknob themselves? No. Did somebody go and, and set up a conspiracy and, and cause things to happen? No. When the Lord's in the matter, nothing like that happens. Amen. Somebody prayed. That's right. Let me give you an example. Over in the book of Daniel. <laughs> and you know, we don't know what the mind of the Lord is. You know, I, I'll be honest with you. I can remember when the Lord first burdened me about this area right here. Uh, one of the first thoughts that came to my mind. Let me tell you what one of the, I'll, just, I'll just confess to you. You know what one of the first thoughts that came to my mind when I thought about this place here many, many years ago? And I, I wasn't the first person to pray for this place here, for the church here. But I'll tell you one of the first thoughts that came to my mind. Oh, my goodness, who's going to be the preacher? <laughs> the Lord took care of that, didn't he? I remember thinking, well, you know, you know, what who's gonna be the preacher? I got Bethlehem. You know, I, you know, we don't have any other gifts around here. Oh, I don't know what's going on. You see? That was my doubting. That was my misunderstanding. I didn't know what was coming. I didn't know your preacher was gonna be who he is. I had no idea. I had as time went by, I kind of had some suspicions, some pretty serious suspicions come up. But I, I just didn't know. I, I don't have that knowledge. Daniel, listen to this, in Daniel the tenth chapter. I'm sorry, Daniel the ninth chapter. Daniel the ninth chapter. Daniel understood some things. Okay? It says in Daniel the ninth chapter that he understood, and this is in verse 2, he's a, he is a captive. I mean, he's a very important, he's a very man, a man in very high authority, but he's still a captive over in uh, uh, Babylon in the kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar and eventually the per Medes and the Persians. But here he is. It says in verse 2 that in the first year of the reign of this particular king, he understood by books the number of the years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years of the desolations of Jerusalem. So Jeremiah had said, you're going to be captive for 70 years. And nobody fully understood what that meant. You know, He didn't say it as plain as I said it just now. But he said it and nobody fully understood it. And so here Daniel, Daniel says... That he understood it. It was revealed to him of God. In other words, he knows what God is about to do. We don't have that luxury, do we? <laughs> we don't know who, uh, you know, what, what's going to be here in 50 years. We don't know what's coming tomorrow, do we? Well, we know who holds tomorrow. And we know who we can trust, right? But see, Daniel knew it. Daniel, don't you think Daniel would sit back and he'd say, Oh, I can just breathe a sigh of relief. I know what's coming. I don't have to do anything anymore. You know what Daniel did? When he knew what was coming, 
He says, He set His face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And He prayed unto the Lord His God and made His confession and said, O Lord, the great and dreadful God, keeping the covenant and mercy to them that love Him and to them that keep His commandments, we have sinned and have committed iniquity and have done wickedly and have rebelled even by departing from the precepts of thy, and thy judgments. Notice what He started out with. He started out with a confession. He didn't sit back and go, okay, well, I, I'm, I'm the man. I know what's fixing to happen, you know, so I don't have to do anything. He got down on his knees in his prayer closet and he prayed. And he didn't just pray. He confessed. He says, we have sinned. We have done wickedly in your sight, Lord. He didn't sit there and go, well, look at what they did. Or they sinned and they're the reason that I'm here. And they, I wish they had been here to hear the preacher's sermon today. He didn't do that, did he? <laughs> We're all guilty of that, aren't we, sometimes? <laughs> he cried out. He knew it was coming. And he still prayed. And notice he wasn't praying, well, Lord, just you know, go ahead and do what you said you're going to do. No, he's just praying thankfulness. Lord, thank you for showing this to me. Thank you for uh, giving us grace. Thank you for blessing us to go back home. And of course, Daniel didn't go back home. Some of the others did. You say, well, that's just great, Brother Tim. That's a sweet little story. <laughs> well, look at verse 21. It says, while I was speaking, Daniel says, while I was speaking in prayer... Even the man, the angel, Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the evening oblation. And he informed me and talked with me, and he said, O oh, Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding. At the beginning of thy supplications, the commandment came forth, and I came to show thee. Did you hear that? Daniel just kicks back and says, Ha, I got it figured out now. Hey, let's go get some lunch. <laughs> he never would have had this experience with Gabriel. Gabriel comes and tells him, Daniel, when you started to pray, God said, Gabriel, go. Amen. Go to this man. Now listen, I'm not saying that when next time you, listen, especially little guys, don't think that I'm saying the next time you get down to pray that you know maybe the Lord will tell Gabriel to come and talk to me. I'm not saying that. I'm just trying to make the point to you uh, about how important prayer is. Yes. Here's Daniel who knows what's coming. He knows the outcome. He gets down and he begins to pray. And I guarantee you Daniel wasn't thinking, well, maybe the Lord will send Gabriel to me. He wasn't thinking that. Daniel gets down and he prays. And I don't know about y'all where you pray or how you pray. I like to go into my closet and pray. And every now and then I'll be praying, you know, and, and, and I'll hear a little pitter-patter coming, you know. And it gets louder, you know, and they come in. I know, I know they're coming in. And Lila, especially, she'll come in there. And she'll just sit there. And she'll just look at me while I'm down there praying. Well, that's a little unnerving. It's kind of hard to pray when somebody's looking at you, you know. And then you know maybe somebody will come through, you know, doing something, getting something, whatever. And that's okay. I mean, that's just the way it is in a busy household. That's just how it happens. You can't help. You know, you can't lock the door. You know, where nobody can come in there. But I'm gonna tell you something. If I'm down there in my prayer closet and I'm praying, and all of a sudden the angel Gabriel come and taps me on the shoulder. Hey, bud. Hey, hey. <laughs> It's going to scare me. <laughs> what? Where did you come from? Came from the throne room. God just sent me. When you started praying, God told me to come and talk to you. And you know what the angel Gabriel told him? He said, well, Daniel had it all figured out. No, he didn't. The angel Gabriel came and told Daniel uh, some more information. He said, Daniel, I want you to understand the 70 weeks. I want you to understand the time that Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, is coming. Amen. So Daniel had this little bit of information right here. And he got down and he prayed. And you know what? God gave him this much information. <laughs> Are you with me? You think prayer is important? Amen. Let me tell you something. 
Every one of these four things are just as important as the other. You don't just want doctrine. You don't just want fellowship. You don't want, just want breaking the bread. You don't just want prayer. You want them with each other and complimenting each other. It kind of reminds you of the triune God in a way because God the Father compliments God the Son who compliments God the Spirit. They're three in one. And you can't... It's, I've, I've compared it to a three-legged stool. You know, if, if you've got a three-legged stool and you take one leg out, well, what happens? The stool just falls over. Right. See? And the way God the Father, God the Spirit, God the Son are, they're like that three-legged stool. They work together. They complement each other. One is not greater than the other. One is not less than the other. They are perfect in harmony, in union. They complement one another. The work of the Father before the foundation of the world complements the work of the Son on the cross. And the work of the Son and the Father complement the Spirit of God that writes what they did in your heart. You see, you can't put one above the other. So you say, well, we'll just focus on the doctrine. No, you better focus on the fellowship. You better focus on the breaking the bread and also on the prayers too. Amen. Don't put one up here and put the other one down here. But I'm going to tell you one. I'm going to tell you something now. Those last three, in my humble opinion, in my opinion, take a lot of effort. It takes effort to carve out of your schedule and get down on the, on your knees and pray every day. You've got to work it into your schedule. You've got to work it in. And not just a prayer in passing. You know, or one of those prayers as you go to sleep. Oh, Lord, I'll try to pray to you before I fall asleep and you're gone. You know, that, that doesn't work. That doesn't get it. Breaking the bread, getting together, fellowshipping. It takes effort. It takes effort. The easiest thing you do is show up and come here and worship and listen to the doctrine. It's the easiest thing you do. And I'll be honest with you, I don't, some other preachers might have a different opinion, but I'll just be honest with you, the preaching of the gospel is the easiest thing that I do. Mm -hmm. Because I love to talk about Jesus. <laughs> it's the easiest thing to do. Now, a lot of study goes into it, a lot of application, but to get up here and just preach, it's like the icing on the cake. To get to tell God's people about the Savior, praise God, it's the greatest thing that, that I could ever imagine to be able to do. <laughs> but the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers, sometimes that requires some effort. It requires effort. It requires work. And in closing, I'll leave you with this thought. The, the benefits, the benefits of putting that effort into the doctrine, into the fellowship, into the breaking of bread, and into prayers, the benefit of that is what you've got right here, right now, together. That's what you, you're experiencing right now. Don't neglect it. Don't, don't not see the importance of it. Because the children of God just feed off of one another. And if they've got godly things going on and good things going on, then good things are coming along and godly things are coming along. If they've got trash or, or, or just terrible things and biting and devouring, guess what's going to happen? It's just going to keep on biting and keep on devouring. And if I could say to the young ones here today, and to the older ones. To see the church here in a hundred years, which is not that far off, or to see the church here when the Lord comes back, these four things are a must. The doctrine of the Lord Jesus Christ, the fellowship of the saints, the breaking of bread with one another, which includes communion, and the prayers. Brother Chris, come ahead. Thank you for joining us today on the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. 
I hope the message has been uplifting and beneficial to you and that the Lord will continue to bless you to grow in grace and knowledge of the truth. Join us again tomorrow for another message of God's sovereign grace. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismacool at gmail.com. That's the letter J-C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.